Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church guests. I should say distinguished guests from Wyoming. They brought their snow with them, so that was kind of them. There are, there are lots of issues in our world today that are opportunities for the gospel. And again, just throughout the week, a few things hit, and I thought it was a decent thing to, to talk about and remind us of, of all the opportunities we have in the world we live in uh, for the gospel. Uh, it's really important, Christians, that we have a biblical worldview. And I, I know we know that. But it's really important that we have a, a biblical worldview and that, and that we stand on those views in whatever environment that we're in. There are, there are lots of despicable laws in this land now that are, that are rebellion against our God. We have these things that are now even laws of the land and practices of the people that we can utilize these things for discussions that take us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is what we are to be doing. And in Romans chapter 1, we, we all know this. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and rights of men who by their righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The world that we live in, the, the people that we're around, the culture that we're in, they know better. They know that it's rebellion against God, and they know that in some senses they've made themselves their own God. It, it talks about that, claiming to be wise, they become Fools, foolish in their hearts, they're darkened and futile in their thinking. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So some of the laws of this land now, and some of the and most of the people, many of the people, it is all about serving and worshiping themselves, uh, mankind, the creation instead of the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not be done. Think about the debased minds of the, of the culture we live in. Like we have to actually argue about genders, how, uh, sex of people, male, female. No, there's binary, non-binary, 48 different genders. It's, it's ridiculousness. And it's all rebellion against God. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, 
but give approval to those who practice them. We have a couple of, and this is not exhaustive, this is just a couple examples. We have a couple examples of, of laws, if you will, of this land that are, that are in rebellion to who God is. What is marriage for? One man and one woman. Okay? Human sexuality is designed to be utilized inside of a one man, one woman relationship for life. That's, that's the truth. That is God's design. So the law in our land allowing for marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman is a violation of God's law, yes? And anyone who does that, they are deserving of death. And so are those who condone that practice. Anyone in here who would ever consider saying, well, to each his own, they love one another. Here's the law of the land after all. And be quiet about something like that. Romans 1.32 says we deserve death. Abortion. Now listen. I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't understand abortion is murder. And God clearly says do not murder. There's really no lack of clarity. If a mother, in a fit of rage, takes the life of her two-year-old child, who would say she ought not be brought up on charges of murder? I think there's hardly anyone who would not agree, yes, she should be. And yet a mother who would take the life of her child two days in utero or two weeks in utero, See, the truth of the matter is they should be brought up on charges of murder. That's the truth. And see, anybody who would disagree with that and say, nah, you know, look, her body, her choice. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't do it for my family, but yeah, okay. Then I would argue we're deserving of death. So, so listen, these are conversations. Uh, we're abolitionists. We believe that abortion should be abolished. Should be none of it. Not heartbeat bills, anything. No taking of human life, right? And how many people agree with that to that extent? What's the new Speaker of the House names? Mike Johnson? There was a, there was a bill in uh, uh, Louisiana, right? He's from Louisiana? There was a bill in Louisiana that was going to make it criminal to take the life so a mother would be brought up on charges as if the baby were two years old or one day old out of utero. And this new professing Christian speaker of the house killed it. Kept it from being passed. Because his constituents wouldn't like it. I don't know why. That's not fair. I don't know why. I know he, he stopped it from going through. He uses influence to keep it from going through. We, we say that's damnable. We say, I don't know the man, but if I knew the man, I would tell him, be careful you're not in Romans 132. 
We should have no equivocation, no pullback, no fear in standing on the truth of murder is murder. And that the doctor, the, 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 the woman, everyone who takes part in the murder of a child ought to be brought up on charges of murder. And we should have, we should, so look, I don't even need to argue, incrementalism, whatever, yeah, it's better to save some, no, listen, we're abolitionists, we believe it's murder, and then it should be treated as such. I don't want to, I personally won't spend much time trying to get that to become law, but I will spend lots of time talking to anybody who disagrees with that statement, and I'll give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone who wants to go to a gay marriage or support their, their friend or family in a gay marriage, I will give them the gospel. I'm, 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 I see no call for me or us to go and change the laws of the land. But those laws that are against God's laws give us great opportunities to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who would be in agreement with those heinous laws. Look, that's just a couple. There's so many. We have to be people that stand on truth. We cannot condone sin in any way. At the same time, understand our own hearts and our own, our own bending of laws for our own convenience. So in our own lives and the lives of one another, we stand on truth. But then we don't be any people who would back down for two seconds about things like marriage and murder. It's simple. It's not hard. It's, it's not illogical. It's very logical. It's, it just follows one to the other. But most of Christendom, again, I, I put quotes up, would allow for some form of abortion. Look, okay, gay marriage. If we affirm premarital sex with our, our, our young adults in any way, shape, or form, and we don't give the gospel inside of that violation, then be careful we're not in Romans 132. Giving a pass to those who do them. A lot of laws that were on the books in this land against sodomy, for instance. Still on the books in some places. It's right. And anybody who's against that law, I don't need to go change the law. I need to talk to the person who's against that law and tell them of their need for Jesus Christ. That's what I need to do. Okay. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Last week, our sermon was titled, Ready or Not, Here He Comes. And Christ is coming back. And we don't know when, but it's imminent. We don't know if it's imminent. We don't know when, but we know He's coming. And like we talked about last week, there's nothing more sure in the world. Look, we're here again this Sunday, right? Last Sunday, I said we might not be here tomorrow. I mean, it's more sure that Christ is coming than we'd be here tomorrow. Well, we're here. Don't know when he's coming, 
most probably the sun's going to come up tomorrow. But we are to live as if Christ could return any moment because he's coming at a time we won't know. And the title of today's sermon is Being Ready for the Master's Return. It's, 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 we are to be looking for Christ's return, but not just watching and waiting. We're to be doing things. And that's what today's passage talks about. So please stand and I will read verses 41 through 48 of Luke 12. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given Of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. You may be seated. Remember the whole context of Luke chapter 12. The whole eternal focus versus temporal focus. We ought ought to have an eternal focus as Christians because... Because we've been given the kingdom of God, he's going to take care of our temporal needs, so we ought to seek first his kingdom and and his righteousness. If we are are living our lives, if we are looking for Jesus' return, and I think about this for a minute, if actually we're looking for Jesus' return, we're living in that reality of his return, we'll be living for Jesus. The more we are thinking about his return, the more we'd be living for him. If we live our lives not looking for Jesus' return, then we probably aren't living for Jesus. Think about about the certainty of Christ's return ought to, to have a sanctifying effect on our lives. In 1 John 3, 2, 3, I think it tells us that, Beloved, we are God's children now, and we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If we are looking to Christ's return. And one of the things this has done for me in preparing for this, and I'm hoping it's doing for all of us, is giving us more of a mindset of looking for Christ's return. Because I'm afraid that we, we, we live a lot like, maybe not how it acts itself out, the second slave in this parable. Eh, he hasn't come yet, probably not coming. 
been a couple thousand years, probably be a couple thousand more. Or, or some people that look for the signs of the ends of times. And then, look, if we're just looking for Jesus' return, there's a sanctifying effect that would have on us. Not, 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 not yes, fear-driven, awe-driven, but not if you're not doing this, looking around all the time, well, am I doing enough to go to heaven? That's not even the question. The question is, are you living as if Christ is coming back? And he's giving parable right here. He's going to give a parable that, that helps, helps us to think that way. So again, remember, you've got, you've got Jesus teaching about eternal things. Uh, a temporalist interrupts. I want my money from my brother. Jesus then tells the parable about the rich ruler and says he stored up all this stuff, but now tonight his soul is required of him. Then whose will it be? So are you if you're storing up treasures on earth and not rich towards God. And then he goes on to talk about uh, how God provides with the lilies and the, and the, and the ravens and, and, how, and how we have been given the kingdom. So he's talking to his disciples, fear not, little flock, that, that, that our shepherd... Our Father, the King, has given us the kingdom. So sell all your possessions. Don't focus on all these things temporal. Your heart is where your treasure is. And, and you, your heart is going to follow your treasure. And then he said, last week we looked at stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So, so live like the master's returning any time and you're attentive and ready to let him in. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Be ready. Be ready for Christ's return. And when he returns, he finds you awake and ready, looking to, looking to him, looking for him. He's going to serve you. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch and finds him awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And... Peter says, are you talking to us or are you talking to the entire crowd? Remember, Jesus' disciples were the focus of this portion of the scriptures, but there were tens of thousands of people around. Remember, that's the setting. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Who are you talking to? This, this parable about staying ready for the master's return. This parable about not worrying or focusing on, on temporal needs. Uh, trusting that God will provide so we can seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Who are you telling this to? Is it meant for us, disciples, or is it meant for everyone? Well, Jesus answers his question, or, or does he? Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us? Or for all. And the Lord said, 
Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Jesus answers the question with a question and then a parable. I found something really interesting. I mean, I think we all know this, but, and my numbers aren't exact, but they're close. Over 180 times Jesus asks, asked questions directly or indirectly in the Gospels. And three times he answers direct, what I would call directly. When Pilate says, are you a king? He says, yes, I'm a king. When the, when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, he says, here's how you pray. Uh, what was the third one? Oh, what is the greatest commandment? He directly answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Segments like it. That's the three times. Other than that, he answers a question with a question. And then a parable often. And, and why does he answer that way? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's forever can hear what he's going to say. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you have ears to hear, then you're going to hear. And I think we'll see from this parable, he's talking to everyone that's in earshot. Particularly them, but everyone. Because in, in this parable, kind of like the parable of the soil, there's three slaves who get punishment, varying degrees. And there's one slave who gets reward. Okay. So, here's another parable. And the Lord said, who is, then faithful, who is then the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Somewhat of a rhetorical question, but he's saying, he says, who are you talking to? He says, well, well who is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over the household? Who will the master give authority to reign over the household while he's gone, until he returns, to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Who is the master, or who is the manager? Oikonomos. One who is in charge. One who is responsible for administrator, manager. So who then will the kurios, the Lord, the master, give the responsibility to distribute his provisions to the rest of the slaves in the household? Who will the master appoint as his manager? This word, oikonomos, Titus 1.7, for an overseer is God's steward. Oikonomos must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So, so who will be a good oikonomos over God's church? 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards or economos of the mysteries of God. Paul says, Apollos, Kephas, the ones you're arguing about, who, whose teaching are you following? As slaves of Christ, we, we've, been, we've been given the management, we've been given the, the mysteries of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he then says, moreover, is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So, so oikonomos, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. And Paul's saying, myself and Apollos and Cephas were to be faithful. When Peter's writing to the scattered church, uh, there's many believers. The scattered church that's in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. 
He says this to all these Christians, all these sojourners and exiles. They're all citizens, slaves, wives, husbands. 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good oikonomos of God's very grace. So we are all stewards at some level as Christians. We've all been given the duty of giving portions of food or ministering to people at a time they need ministered to. So, so as we're eagerly awaiting Christ's return, we're, we're, we're living as if he may return at any minute. And while, while we wait, we are to be the manager of his stuff as his slave. Some, some would say this passage is talking to the disciples as future apostles. And he's talking to them about leadership of the church. And there's no question over and against the Pharisees who's he's, who's he's warning against the hypocrisy. He is certainly talking about that. But I think it goes much farther than that because we see this word economos given for all of us in some sense. So, so this parable is, is told to anyone who's following Jesus, anyone who has ears to hear. But it certainly would apply to pastors, elders, shepherds of God's people. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The elders that he's speaking to of the church of Ephesus, elders are to be stewards of God's church and protect the sheep. To feed, protect them. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. God has called pastor elders to watch out for and to feed and to care for God's people. So certainly, Pastor Nick, Pastor Tyler, myself, you ought to be listening today. Because it certainly applies to leaders in the church. Jeremiah 23.1 Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will tend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. There is going to be woes. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall be any missing, declares the Lord. The master has given responsibility for caring for his sheep to pastor's elders. We certainly should consider how we're doing as we look at this parable. Again in 1 Peter 5, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. There is a responsibility that pastors, elders have been given by God that is that, that, is, that is very clear and he's very concerned about how we carry out that responsibility. So anyone who would ever be 
want to be, desire to be, think they desire to be in, in leadership in the church, know that there's this expectation of shepherding the flock and God takes it seriously. Now, as Christians, all Christians, we'd be given a responsibility of loving and serving one another in this local assembly. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost forgive, also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what the master has told us. We are to love one another in this manner. This is how we are to exist with one another in the local church. And we're to do that with an eye on Christ is coming back. If he comes back and you're in the middle of a spat with somebody in the local assembly where you're not forgiving or, or, or you're, you're holding a grudge or you're, or you're not uh, striving for unity, we, we, have, we have responsibility to manage and care for one another. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So not just church leaders, but also the entire church is to love one another, care for one another, and outdo one another in showing honor. Do it like he's coming back any minute. We've been given responsibilities in our home, with our families, how we are to, to take care of the master's business until he returns. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each one of you, husbands, love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Love them as if Christ is returning. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to them as if Christ is returning. Not, not living life like, yeah, someday way out there maybe. I got time. No, live our lives as if he's coming in the way we love our wives and reverence our husbands. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may have live long in the land. Children, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Obey them and honor them as if Christ is returning. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not, be, do not provoke your children to anger by raising them in worldly ways or being inconsistent raise them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Be ready, he's coming back. Fathers, by extension mothers, he's coming back when you don't expect him. Are we raising our children as if he's coming back?
Are we raising them to expect Christ's return and be ready for that? Are we, are we raising them about the 25-year family plan? What's more urgent? What, what does the Lord say is more urgent? He's coming. Look, I'll, I'll contend this, the 25-year plan, the 100-year plan, the generational vision, it all, it all takes care of itself if we're faithful today. It all takes care of itself. It doesn't take a master plan. He's coming. You don't know when. Colossians 3.18 Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Submit to your husbands as if Christ's coming back now. So you see, it has a sanctifying effect on us if we actually think this way, doesn't it? And just think about it. This, this is what he's telling us. This is clear. This is clear in my thinking. It's clear in my preparation. It's clear what I'm trying to articulate to me and to you. If I actually thought of Christ's return, I was looking for it, not just because of the glories of heaven, but for the reality of he's coming back and then it's done, I can assure you my mouth's not going to be harsh with my wife. Now, I'm not preaching sinless perfectionism because in my fallen state it will be. But I can assure you if in that moment I think, oh, Christ is coming, it's going to clean it up. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, meeting with somebody this week and the brother was telling me about, he was confessing how, how he had been so cruel to his son. And he was repenting of it and, and confessing that. And I praise God for he saw that. But you know, one of the things he said was, boy, if I thought about it, if I was, doing, if I was letting him have it like that, dressing him down that way and Christ returned, I would not have been proud of myself. I would not have been, hey, come, Lord Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Now, we don't have to live in fear like if he comes back at the exact wrong moment, we're going to hell, although we're going to look at that. But we do need to live like he's coming. So, so, so we, have, we have this obligation as elders to care for the church. We have this, we have this, this, this assignment to manage the church together, the believers. We have this, this instruction on how we're to, we're to live with our families. Another thing Christians are to manage, that we are to distribute food at the proper time. Paul writes this in Romans 1. I, Paul, am under obligation. I'm under obligation, Paul says. What do you think he's going to follow that with? I'm under obligation to, let's see, who, to whom am I under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians? Both the wise and the foolish. Who's not covered in that? No one's not covered. Everyone's covered in what he's saying there. I have an obligation to everyone I come in contact with. My obligation is to make sure that, fill in the blank. I'll get off my hobby horse. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul says, I have an obligation that I am going to carry out 
to everyone, that's my obligation. And by the way, when you pray for me, pray for that I would do this, Paul says. Pray I would do what I'm, what I'm talking about here. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Brothers and sisters, it is our obligation to give the gospel of salvation to everyone. The Master has given us this responsibility. This to, to manage, to take care of. Similarly, we're the pillar and buttress of the truth, but I should have gone back in the church section. Here, we are to, we are, we are, we are to have this, this gospel, this thing that God's given us. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So in your hearts, set Christ apart. Because by the way, He's coming back. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Set Jesus apart as Lord and Master. Remember the responsibility He's given us to, be, to tell anyone who asks for the reason that we have, the hope that we have. Hey, uh, abortion is murder, and women should be brought up on murder charges if they take the life of their child. Why would you say something like that? Well, let me give you the reason for the hope that I have. Let me give you the gospel that I owe you. Let me tell you about the God who, who tells us this. Let me tell you about His wrath that's upon you. Let me tell you about the forgiveness for those sins that you can have in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you about that. We have that obligation. He's coming back. This, 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 reality, this reality of Christ's return should have a sanctifying, will, I'm going to say, will have a sanctifying effect on his people. It, it, is, it is right and good. It is good that God would remind one who's in the middle of sin, a Christian, the Spirit would work to say, hey, what you're doing right now, if Christ come back, how's that going to go for you? Remembering there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that sure is a good reminder. Is the activity I'm taking place in right now one that I would be pleased to be in the middle of with Christ coming back? Like berating your son? Like speaking harshly with your wife? Like grumbling and complaining about the brethren? Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him whom they not believed? And how are they to believe in him who have they not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. As the church, as Christians, we are to make sure the good news is being preached. Whether we preach it or we support and send those who do. But that's our obligation. That's what the master has left his slaves to do. Colossians 2, or I'm sorry, Colossians. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Therefore, okay, because we have been reconciled, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, we're a new creation, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are we looking for Jesus, the master, to come back at any moment 
and living as if we are managers of his stuff, like his gospel, like the ministry of reconciliation we've been given. And if, if our response is, yeah, come on. What do you mean, go around navel-gazing all the time? Make, no, no, no. If that's your response, you aren't hearing. He doesn't make all those qualifications. He's simply giving a parable to tell Peter, I'm talking to anybody who can hear me. In the immediate context of what we're looking at here, in the exact immediate context, We are being told how to steward or manage God's money. We are, we, are being, we are being told how to view temporal riches as compared to eternal riches. That's the immediate context of what he's talking about here in this section. In Luke 12, 21, so is the one who lays up a treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Remember, this is a parable about the rich ruler, I mean the rich man who amassed great wealth. In God's providence, he had a windfall crop and he had to build bigger barns. He didn't think about giving that away, blessing others. He thought about storing it up for himself, building bigger barns, that he'd be okay. And he sat back and said, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God says, tonight your heart is required of you. And then down in verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink nor be worried. So Christ is coming back. Think about Christ is returning. Are you going to be worried about what you're eating or drinking or wearing in that moment? For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Pagans seek after these things. Your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. When Christ returns, what, how are you interacting with money? Resources. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart will follow our treasure, which will be invested in his kingdom. Matthew 16. This is right in the context of what he's talking about. This is what he's warning about right here. Matthew 6. Do not lay up, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do not manage money for temporal lives we live. Manage money by investing in the kingdom. Investing in the salvation and sanctification and care of his people. Investing in the salvation, the sanctification, the care of his people. Are you ready for Jesus to return? Am I ready? Am I looking for Jesus to return? Understanding what I've been instructed to do? As an elder, as a church member, in my family, with the gospel, as an evangelist, if you will, with the money. Are we ready? Church, how you're caring and loving for one another. Families, how you're interacting inside of your family. Evangelists, how you're proclaiming the gospel that you've been given to give to others. 
as how you manage your money. Are you ready? Are you living as if that's a reality that he's coming back? Are we ready for Christ's return? Again, I said it before, but we're not just told here to wait and watch. We've been told to wait and watch, but we've been told not watch, and here's how to live while you're waiting and watching. We have work to do. We're to hold the fort, if you will. So then we see these four types of slaves in this parable. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Who will the master return to find being living like this? Blessed, who, who's living faithful and wise. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing. Doing what? Being faithful and wise. Truly, I'll set, he will set him over all his possessions. First type of slave is the faithful and wise slave. That the master returns to find a slave who's being faithful and wise. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Those who have been saved by grace through faith, not of themselves, a gift from God, so that no man should boast, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So do not get saved. Forget he's coming back. And just live any way we want. We're going to be faithful and wise, faithful, pistas, trustworthy, pertaining to being reliable. Christ is coming back, okay? Boom, he's back. Am I being trustworthy? Am I being reliable? As a, don't have to necessarily think about every single act. Just is the trajectory of your life as Christ returned faithful? Are you being trustworthy with what you've been given, Dad? Pastor? Churchman? Churchwoman? Are you being faithful, reliable with what you've been given to care for? Are you being wise? Franimas. The ability to understand as a result of insight and wisdom. Are you living with this as your guide to guide your actions? Are you living with wisdom? Are you applying the Proverbs we've been going through for 14 years? Slight exaggeration, but probably will be that long by the time we're done. Are we applying those things? Are we living? When Christ returns, who's he going to find that's being faithful and wise? Because those he's going to bless and he's going to give them the kingdom of heaven. Going to place them over all. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And who will we find being faithful and wise? Because blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. When Jesus returns, those he finds faithfully and wisely managing his possessions, his church, his families, his gospel, his money, 
his, his sheep? Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Think of Joseph and Potiphar. You think of, you think of, you think of, we don't, what does it mean? Well, I know we're going to inherit the kingdom, but here's what I know. He says, in this parable, again, this is a parable. It's not, it's not to be connected dot for dot, but what he's telling us is when he returns, if he finds us faithful and wise, he's going to set us over all of his possessions. Charles Spurgeon says, I cannot attempt to explain all these words, what all these words mean, but I will bless the Lord that they are absolutely true. I cannot attempt to explain he will set him over all his possessions. But I bless the Lord that they are absolutely true. In, in, in the, another parable, Matthew 25, 23, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the first type of slave is the one that the master returns to find him being faithful and wise. In those things that we looked at as far as what we've been given to manage, we're being faithful and wise. See, see, Julie, you don't have to worry about are you shepherding the church. You might spend some time on that sometimes. I'm not picking on you. You just came in my sight. So, but, but you don't need to. You don't have a responsibility to do that. Actually, actually, Tony, you don't have a responsibility to shepherd the church. But what you do have a responsibility to is to love and care for the church. See, I don't have, I don't have a responsibility to be a mother to my daughter and my son. I have a responsibility to be a father. I don't have a responsibility to be a wife. I have a responsibility to be a husband. Are you faithful and wise in what God's given you to do. Not what he's given somebody else to do. Not are you checking out to make sure they're faithful and wise. Are you being faithful and wise what he's given you to do? Because he's coming back. And there's going to be a great blessing and a great reward that will follow. And I actually think that if we honestly answer this question, we can say yes, but we can sure do that better. I hope that's what we can answer. Because that's the only one of these four types of servants that get rewarded. All the other three receive punishment. Second time. Unfaithful and harmful. Second type of slave. Unfaithful and harmful. But if the servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming. Not really looking for his return. Hey, he isn't here. I've been waiting for a while. I paid some attention. He's not here. So he kind of doesn't look to Christ's return. And he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. 
Very sobering warning, isn't it? Again, this is a parable. But it's a parable that's pointing to Christ's return. To those he's talking to and who have ears to hear. But if the servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants. For those slaves, those followers, those in the disciple group or in the listening group or in this group, for those who mistreat other slaves because you're not thinking about Christ's return, so you treat others poorly, he's coming. And we're going to find out what you're going to receive. Jeremiah and Ezekiel frighten me. Where he talks about shepherds that aren't faithful. That don't care for and feed the flock. That, that, that brings me a great deal of fear and humility. Because he's coming. And there are clear warnings against harming his people. Those don't just stop with pastors and elders. Any slave who's harming God's people, and then any who's and to eat and drink and get drunk. So the slave is not only harming people, he's also not looking for the master's return, so, so he's focusing on feeding his flesh. The very thing in Luke 12, 29 that was just said, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, but don't be worried for this, this, this unfaithful, harmful servant. He or she is worried about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink, and they're so gluttonous they even get drunk. He's not coming back for a while. I got time. I'll clean it up on the other side. Methuscome. Get drunk, be drunk, be intoxicated, drink a lot, drink freely. This slave is taking advantage of other people, other slaves. He's using his power in a way that lords over and harms people. That's not just elders that can do that. That's fathers, that's mothers, that's husbands, that's wives, that's churchmen. Feeding the flesh and focused on the here and now to the point of gluttony and drunkenness. This is certainly a warning against being drunk, but, but even the type of thought process that would lead you to needing to take in the, the, the things of this world to eat and drink is being warned against. This, this temporal fleshly focus, as if, as if Christ isn't coming back. I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Probably not going to come back in my lifetime, so I can be a little sloppy. 
I can take advantage of a little bit of people. I can, I can feed my flesh and live for the here and now. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces. Dikateo meo. Of the cruel method of punishment used by the Hebrews of others, cutting others into Hebrews 11.37 talks about sawn in half. This, this, these words he's speaking actually were something that happened with human beings. One of the most cruel things they could do to someone is saw them in half. And what he's trying to tell them in this parable, you be this kind of a slave, you be the kind of slave that's taking advantage of people, that's harming his people, or the kind that's feeding your flesh so much as if Christ isn't coming back. You have no acknowledgement of that. You're just set in your fleshly ways. When he comes back, he's going to cut you into pieces. Spurgeon again. It is truly a terrible expression. We are sometimes charged with using too strong expressions with regard to the wrath to come. It is quite impossible that we should do so, even if we tried. For the expressions of the Lord Jesus are more profoundly terrible than any which even medieval writers have been known to invent. The worst portion that any can get is with the unbelievers. And there are some here who may, in this verse, see what a dark doom theirs will be if they are among those who are described as being out in sunder and having their portion with the unbelievers. Truly our Lord uses very strong words. The Savior is not one of our effeminate preachers like those of modern times who seem as the very word hell would burn their lips and will not warn men to flee from the wrath to come. It is an unkind and heartless want of humanity which prevents their being faithful to the souls of men. The great Lord who is full of tenderness does not hesitate to use the sternest figure and most terrible language simply because he does not consult in his own feelings but aims at the highest good of those with whom he deals. Look, Jesus is saying these words to this audience. You be that slave when the master returns, the master is going to cut him in half, cut him in pieces, and throw him with the unfaithful. Be warned. I can't say it any stronger. I don't need to say it any stronger. I don't need to say it any weaker. Don't be that guy or gal. Again, it's a parable. It's not literal, but, but, it, but it's trying to give us the, the, the reality of when Christ returns to judge and he comes back, will you be ready? How much punishment will be poured out on the slave who is harming others and feeding his flesh with no care of the return of Christ? Put him with the unfaithful, apistas, unfaithful, faithless, not to be trusted, perfidious. Revelation 21.8, the words there, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and suffer, which is the second death. Jesus' parable tells how he will treat those who harm others in this local assembly. How those who harm those in their families. Some of you young adults need to hear my words. 
If He finds you harming those in your family, dishonoring your parents, disobeying your parents, we'll get here in a little while, but you know better. Turn to Christ and live. Turn away from your sin. Don't be found harming God's people or feeding your flesh. Matthew 24, 51, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. Those same hypocrites he talked about earlier as far as the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First type of slave is the, slave is the faithful and the wise slave, blessed and given all of his master's possessions. Second type is the unfaithful and harmful. Cut in two, put him with the unfaithful in the lake of fire. Third type of slave. Now notice there's still punishment, a little less punishment. We know there's rewards in heaven. We know there's degrees of punishment in hell. But at the end of the day, they're heaven and they're hell and they're, they're that place. But the warning he's giving is, is to the audience who has ears to hear. These Pharisees better have been listening up just a minute ago. This type of slave is the willfully disobedient slave. The servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. So not cut in half, but he'll get a severe beating. This is those who are, who are following Jesus, uh, the disciples, or including Judas, or the crowd, or the other disciples. This is, this is not the person who is aggressively harming God's people or or over-the-top feeding his or her flesh, completely ignoring his return. But this is like the one who, who who's, knows the will of the Father, but isn't ready or acting according to his will. This is, this is, this is not that aggressively harmful one, but this is one who's not ready for the Master's return in their willful disobedience. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Remember, all of his disciples and all those other tens of thousand peoples that were calling him rabbi or, or some Lord. Not everyone who says that. <laughs> you know the Master's will, and you're not doing it? This is the one who's going to get a severe beating. separated from God. James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the slave who knows the master's will but doesn't see any urgency in doing it. Knows his will but doesn't see any urgency in doing it. This is for all of you in here and I've heard it too many times in my life from the people I love. They have yet to believe on Christ and they think, well, I'll do it later. I know, I know I've been called to repent and believe. I know I've been told to turn away from my sin. I know I don't honor my father and mother, but I'll get there. Let me live a while and then I'll give my life to Christ. 
That's you. You're going to get a severe beating. You know the will of the Father. You know God's will for your life, but you act as if he's not coming tomorrow and you got time. That servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Darrow, to strike, to beat, or to whip repeatedly to remove the skin. So it ain't cut in half, but it's the scourging that Jesus received. Pretty bad beating. For those who know the master's will but don't get ready or act according to his will. Not severe as being cut in two, but still quite severe. If you know the master's will and don't do it, don't, don't tarry any longer. Don't procrastinate any longer. Believer, don't tarry any longer. Don't procrastinate any longer. Unbeliever, don't, don't, don't procrastinate. Don't tarry any longer. Do the Father's will. Fourth type of slave in this parable, the unknowingly disobedient. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. A light beating. Aligas, small, few, darrow. A smaller version of that whip the skin off beating. A beating, but a lighter beating. This is, this is those who weren't, didn't clearly understand or never heard the entire gospel. Those, those who violate their God-given conscience, they will stand and be punished less severely, but punished nonetheless. Why do we have to tell people of their need for Jesus Christ so there aren't, there aren't those who did not know and violate God's commands, don't know the solution, they're going to get a beating. Sodom. It's going to be more bearable for Sodom than for the towns that the 70 went into. It's going to be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon than Chorazin and Bethsaida. It's still not going to be good for Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. But move up the chain to the last two lists and that's where those that knew fall. This is down here to the ones that didn't maybe here, but they're still going to get a beating. They don't act as if Christ is returning because they might not know about Christ. <coughs> Again, I don't think it applies a lot to people in this room, but it certainly applies to many people that we know. And then this final sentence from Jesus to the disciples in this large crowd of followers. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the much more. For me, this becomes so crystal clear in the context of this passage. To whom much is given, much is expected. The more you've been given to manage the, as a slave, the more is expected of you. And remember the context. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For him who has ears to hear, Peter, you've been given the kingdom. Is that kind of a, a lot? Kind of a lot, isn't it? Well, then much is expected of you. Much is expected of you is living out of knowing God will provide, seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. Much is expected of you. 
As Christians, we've been given the kingdom. We have inherited eternal, eternal life. We have a Lord whom we will obey. We are expected to be the faithful and wise servants, slaves, when he returns. That's how he'll find us. Because the other three are all punishment. Don't walk out of here letting yourself think you're in the other three categories and thinking you're okay. We've been given everything. There's nothing more God could give us. So much is expected of us. 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Guess what? Jesus is coming. Therefore, because of that reality, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through, glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever we've been given, we will manage faithfully and wisely and be blessed and inherit eternity for His glory and Christ's sake. The end is here. Christ is coming. Live like it. Steward, economos, manage the master's stuff well. Especially and particularly his bride. Another Spurgeon quote. Oh, my brethren, let those of us who are privileged with the possession of the gospel and privileged with any amount of ability to spread it inquire whether we could give in a good account if the Lord were to come tonight and summon us as stewards to give an account of our stewardship. God bless to all the reading of his word. Amen. Judge ye then, brethren and sisters, how much of ability and talent your Lord has entrusted to you, and be not content to have rendered him some service. Be not content to have rendered him some service, but look for proportionate service and humble yourselves in his presence if your service is not in proportion to the opportunities entrusted to you. Don't rest that you've done some things. Look at how much you've been given, the skills, the talents, all you've been given, and see if you're, if you're serving him out of that reality. Who among us can refrain from humbling himself before God when we think of this? Who in here can say, yep, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I have nowhere to grow in this area, Pastor. Thanks for the sermon, but I'm there. No, we're not. Closing thought, reward and punishment will be distributed upon Christ's return. Reward and punishment will be distributed upon Christ's return. Blessed is the wise and faithful slave who will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed is the wise and faithful slave who inherit the kingdom of God and is found so doing when the master returns. Differing levels of punishment will be doled out to the unfaithful slaves based on their level of defiance. 
But all that punishment will be eternal torment, separated from God's mercy forevermore. Ready or not, he's coming. Are you ready for your master's return? May we go in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning, and may we be more ready now. And as we go forward, by his grace for his return than we did when than we were coming in here. In all those areas I covered, and there are more. Obviously, there are more. But certainly in the area, Pastor Nick, Pastor Tyler, myself, how we shepherd this flock. Churchmen and women, members of the church, how you love one another and care for one another. Fathers and husbands, how you're acting in your homes. Wives and mothers, how you're acting in your homes. Children, how you're acting in your homes how we're doing with God's resources and how we view those and what we actually think about those. What are we doing with the gospel that we've been given? What are we doing as being the, 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 the buttress of the truth, the pillar and buttress of the truth? What are we doing with that? Be encouraged. Be encouraged. He's coming. Christ is coming. Are we ready? Father, thank you again for your word. I thank you so much for this continued, these continued realities you show us in your word. The, the reality of temporal versus eternal focus. The truth of your provision in the lives of your people that we can trust in. The, 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 the mind-blowing promise that we have to inherit the kingdom. Father, the clear instruction you give us on how then to live. Father, may we be found faithful and wise. And may today be the day that someone understands that being cut in half or have their skin ripped off from beating or being beaten at all in the sense of the wrath of God, that they may turn to Christ and live. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.